Affordable housing is a basic human right, and to build a better Kentucky where all our people can thrive, safe and reliable housing is absolutely essential. I wanted to be better and meet those goals, and it wouldn't have been possible without Kentucky housing. Knowing that I had a roof over my head, um, food to eat, knowing that I didn't have to want for anything, um, that's a that's a big plus. Being a single parent and not having to worry about um, you know housing, uh, paying bills while you know being in school. But I am here to tell you that there is a lot of beauty in this part of the county. Bringing it home with KHC. Uh, well, welcome back to another episode of Bringing It Home with KHC, uh, Kentucky Housing Corporation's podcast about affordable housing issues. Uh, across the Commonwealth. My name is Steve Morrow, and I am joined today uh, by Christy McCravey, the Executive Director of the Louisville Affordable Housing Trust Fund, and Rick McQuady, Lexington's Affordable Housing Manager. So thank you both for, for joining us. Good to be here. Thank you. So I, I gave the kind of brief introduction to who you are and what your title is, but I was wondering if we could start by uh, maybe you both introducing yourself and saying a little bit about what your organization uh, does and how it fits into the affordable housing ecosystem of your respective cities. So my name is Christy McCravey, as you mentioned earlier, and I am the executive director of the Louisville Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Um, the trust fund here was created in 2008 by our Metro Council to be the entity to disperse public funds for affordable housing here in Louisville. When we were formed, the board at that time decided for us to be a separate nonprofit, which is sometimes the entities that trust funds take and sometimes they're part of government. But we became a separate nonprofit so we could draw in other funds, like from banks and things like that, in order to create other programs um, that are housing related. So since, let me see, I've been here since 2016. And since that time, we have been awarded, well, excluding the fiscal year 2024 award, we have been awarded $92 million for affordable housing. Much of that was in 2022 when we received $40 million of American Rescue Plan funds. But of the $92 million, we have been able to work to assist in the creation or preservation of um, 5,100, a little over 5,100 units of housing. Uh, my name is Rick McCoyty. I'm the manager, affordable housing manager for the city of Lexington. I've been in this position since the uh, founding of, or the creation of the Affordable Housing Fund in 2014. It was created by an action of the uh, Urban County Council in Lexington in September of 2014. And obviously, it's been ongoing since then. Uh, our mission, if you will, is to leverage public and private investment to preserve and produce safe, quality, affordable housing for Fayette County's residents whose incomes are at or below 80% of area median income. And uh, the city has allocated to us in total $38.5 million over the last 10 years. Uh, $25,375,000 has come from the city's general fund, just our general receipts, and $13,125,000 from ARPA funds, um, just like Christy was talking about. Uh, Lexington allocated some of their ARPA allocation uh, to affordable housing, just like they did in Louisville. 
Also, like Christy in Louisville, our focus has primarily been on rental housing, multifamily housing. I'd like to do more home ownership. It's tougher to do, especially now with the cost and interest rates where they are. Um, so really our focus, I'd say 95% of what we've funded have been multifamily. And over 85% of what we've funded has been to serve households that are below 60% of area median income. Uh, the ordinance that Lexington passed, if you will, to create the affordable housing stated that while we serve those at 80 and below, we always had to keep in mind the needs of those at lower income, specifically those at 50 and 30%. And I feel like we've been able to do that um, through our partnerships with Kentucky Housing Corporation, with the nonprofit community and for-profit developers uh, throughout Lexington. You know, Rick, that's a good point. We also have that same um, priority by ordinance. More than half or at least half of all of our allocations must serve households under 50% AMI. Mm -hmm. And at this point, because of the need, we have other priorities of serving those with incomes less than 30% AMI. Mm -hmm. You've both made reference to the need, which is one reason why the Lexington Affordable Housing Fund and the Louisville Affordable Housing Trust Fund are so important right now. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that shortage. So how many units do we need to build? Here in Louisville, and back in 2018, we did a housing needs assessment. Um, a firm out of Pittsburgh did a very detailed study to determine that we had a shortage of more than 31,000 units for households with incomes less than 30% AMI. So if you think about 30% AMI, um, and in 2023 terms, that is somebody, if it's a single family household, they make less than 18,850. And for a household of four, which is kind of our banner, mm -hmm. <laughs> we look at that household of four number, that is an income of less than $30,000. So if you can imagine trying to make everything work for four people with a gross income of $30,000, that's where the need lies. So we have an abundance of people that are what we call overburdened, cost burdened, meaning they pay more than 50% of their gross income for housing. And we're trying to right size those numbers. And we are at the five year mark for our housing needs assessment. So we're really at the point now where we're seeking to uh, update those numbers. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see what we learn. <laughs> yeah, and Lexington is much the same. Uh, we have a tremendous need. And we haven't done a housing needs assessment since 2014. Actually, the housing needs assessment is what spurred the uh, Urban County Council to create the Affordable Housing Fund because it identified 6,000 households who uh, were what's called, like what Christy said, rent burdened or overburdened, uh, paying more than 50% of their income for household expenses, rent, or in the case of a mortgage, your mortgage payment, which includes your uh, insurance and taxes as well. And the rent includes your rent plus your utilities. Uh, we haven't had a study since then. However, we have just commissioned a new one. Uh, we have an RFP out at this point in time to uh, select a firm to conduct an updated study. Additionally, uh, most of what we most of the projects that we fund, the larger ones anyway, have a market study. And the market studies just show a tremendous need. I mean, it's just market study after market study uh, just states uh, 
just verifies my thought that there just is a, a huge need for housing. And it's for all spectrums, whether it be those at 60, those at 40, those at 30%, um, just a significant need out there. And, um, you know, we have over 800 units that are coming online here in the next six months. And I just saw a market study for that will serve a similar population, really maybe 15 miles away from the most of the ones we have now, and the need is still tremendous. So, um, and the good thing is that everybody, all, all the political figures, if you will, the mayor, the council, everybody recognizes the fact there's a tremendous need for more affordable housing in Fayette County, Kentucky. Oh, absolutely. So you both mentioned those funding priorities in terms of, you know, income and AMI. Uh, but I was wondering, does geography also factor into it? Our priority is to do home ownership in the urban core simply because inside of what we call I-264, the Waterson Expressway, we have a lot of rental. It's a lot of lower income rental. So we would like to bring in some home ownership there to stabilize neighborhoods and outside the urban core have more uh, home, uh, rental outside of 264. However, it doesn't always work that way because of some of the Hope Six projects, the choice neighborhood choice projects that came along um, in recent years, you had a lot of displacement of uh, numerous amounts of uh, people who were displaced because of tearing down some of the housing projects. So there was replacement units that have been built. They've been built, built throughout the county. Um, there are significant numbers of apartments in the west but also in the in the southwest and in south central the hardest neighborhood to break into and wouldn't be any surprise to anybody if you know louisville is the east because of cost and because of good old nimbyism you know not in my backyard so when that happens it just increases the housing cost for developers many of our developers can't afford it so, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on that front. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done with zoning and ways in order to help to create affordable housing throughout the entire county and not to concentrate it because it is not our goal to concentrate housing. Uh, we're the same way, Christy, uh, in, in Lexington. Uh, geographic distribution is very important to us that... Um, if you will, that we don't concentrate all the affordable housing in, in one area of Lexington. And I feel very good so far. And, and sort of like in Louisville, it's just uh, it's just worked out that way, which is really good. You know, my board, if, if they felt that there were too many developments going in in one certain area, uh, we would stop that. We just wouldn't fund a, a project there. But uh, it's really worked out well for us. And, uh, you know, I, we haven't we haven't run into as much nimbyism as I thought we would. Oh. Uh, you run into a little bit every now and then, but you know, we have a requirement. I'm sure Christy does too. A developers got to work with these neighborhoods, work with the communities. And obviously some are harder to work with than others, but just try and let them know these, you know, there's always a misconception out there about affordable housing as to who you're serving. But if you, if you explain to them who you're serving, what these units are going to be, the quality of nature in which they're going to be built, at least you get a few steps ahead um, and you uh, 
eliminate, you don't eliminate it, but you uh, reduce some of the complaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We, we've taken um, some of our Metro Council people on tours. Uh, we have made the um, rounds, so to speak, you know, roundtables talking about what affordable housing is. I've spoken to groups like Louis, uh, Leadership Louisville, Bingham Fellows, and groups like that to try to dispel the myths of what affordable housing is. Education is the key to understand. Uh, you know, when we tell, when we point to a new project, they have no idea whether it's affordable housing or market rate. And that's how it should be. No one should be able to look at the housing and say, that's affordable housing, that's market rate housing. If they, you know, if they can tell that, we failed. Hey, you know, that's exactly right. I had a reporter from the Herald Leader one time call me and ask me questions. And we were talking about a certain development. And she goes, well, isn't that a market rate housing? It looks really good. I said, no, ma'am, that's for folks who are 60% and below area median income. And, you know, Christy is exactly right. It's, it's, there should be no difference in the quality of the units, the quality of the construction, all those things. You know, the only difference should be, hey, we're there to provide low low either low, low, uh, low rate debt or grants or deferred loans or forgivable loans to keep the amount of debt service down for the property owner. So that in return for reduced debt service, they'll charge lower rents to the tenants. But the quality, everything else, just like what they're doing in Louisville, we're trying to replicate in Lexington. Mm-hmm. I've had the good fortune of, of attending a lot of these ribbon cuttings and seeing firsthand the high quality standards that the developers are using. Could you talk a little bit about energy efficiency and, and the role that plays in bringing down the cost of utilities and ultimately making these places more affordable? For most of our home, uh, our multifamily, they have about four or five things that they must do. You know, everyone has to meet insulation requirements. They have to meet low flow plumbing requirements. They have to have programmable thermostats, all of those kinds of things. And then we give them a list of other green building techniques that they can choose from. So I think today, in today's application, they have five to nine things they have to do, and then they can add in another two to three. But then when the project is over, we have inspectors that will go out and make sure that they complied with all of the green building techniques. energy can make or break an affordable housing unit. So no matter who is paying those bills, it can make a difference in whether that unit is affordable or not. Yeah, and like I said, we, honestly, we replicate a lot of things that you all do at Kentucky Housing Corporation, the same type of standards, same things Christy's talking about as far as energy efficiency, sustainability. I mean, all those things are critical. And uh, just making sure that the households have a quality place to live you know, on into the future. Earlier, you mentioned the ARPA funds that were allocated to you for affordable housing. Um, has, has that allowed you to speed up construction um, and to bring more units online more quickly? Well, for us, what it did, it allowed us to serve a lower income population. We were able to invest more dollars per unit into a development than we normally would be able to do. Uh, so, for example, if, you, if you're serving a 30% AMI uh, resident and they only make 18000 a year, affordability, you're talking about a rent at about three fifty a month. Um, Adding utilities, you're right under probably, you're right around 400 a month. Uh, 
Well, our local utility company, you know, LG, they don't care that it's affordable, that costs are going to be the same. Um, you've got the same insurance costs. You've got the same uh, replacement costs as any other development. So you can see that those kinds of developments can't have the level of debt that other units or market rate units would be able to absorb. So what we did was we required our developers to create units that were going to serve the lowest income populations, but we subsidized them more heavily. Yeah, I mean, that money did the exact same thing for us as well. I mean, really, we we replicated what Christie's done in Louisville. Um, you know, we spent more per unit than I normally do. Uh, we allocated uh, almost $32,000 a unit for these for the developments that we've funded with the ARPA dollars. But we were, we, and with that, we were able to serve very low incomes. In fact, we were able to help uh, a nonprofit organization in Lexington who uh, provides services and is always looking for housing for their clientele. What they do is they provide services to those with severe mental illness, many of which are homeless or at risk of homelessness. They were able to, you know, with the help of the ARPA dollars and our funding, we were able to, uh, you know, help them purchase 24 units in a great area of town for their population. And uh, that, pop, you know, where they can get the services they need, uh, they can get all their needs met within walking distance. It's just, it's just a fantastic location. But all of them are at or below 30% of area mean income. I mean, they're all, you know, just getting... Uh, Social Security incomes, all they're receiving. So uh, this money was just fantastic to be able to do that. And I think that, uh, you know, the council that allocated dollars to us, that was one of their instructions, was with these dollars, can we serve lower incomes? And we've been able to do that just like they have in Louisville. Is that something that you're going to be able to continue or is that just temporary? Yeah, it's just a one-time shot. Um, you know, I've asked the city council, I've asked them for a little bit more money, but they've run out. So, um, but now some of the, some of the funds I was able to allocate in the form of loans. We did a, we, we gave some money to a couple of tax credit developments that will be able to pay us back some. And of course, when that money comes back to us and we can recycle that back into our fund, but yeah, it's a one-time shot. I just feel like uh, we took good event. We made, we took good advantage of the resources that we had to help people. We otherwise might not have been able to help with our regular funding that we received. You're exactly right, Rick. That's exactly what we did, too. We we were able to help um, those populations. We also have a project for mental illness for the um, formerly homeless or risk, high risk of homelessness. Uh, we have one for domestic violence, women from domestic violence. And we have some projects, some regular apartments, um, that will be able to have more units at that 30% AMI uh, reservation, whereby normally the numbers wouldn't work. So with being able to make a higher investment in the project, they were able to make the gap, um, to fill the gap with those dollars. Earlier, you both mentioned that multifamily developments, which most people probably see as apartment complexes or apartment buildings, uh, do make up a lot of what you do. Um, but I've seen a lot of really interesting collaborations happening between developers and um, healthcare, 
schooling and things like that. So I wonder if you would talk about projects that are particularly interesting in that way. The one that comes to mind for us right now uh, that's up and running is Stonewall Terrace in Lexington, which received housing credits from Kentucky Housing Corporation. We provided gap financing. It's 24 units uh, for those with medical vulnerabilities. And it's a, it truly is permanent supportive housing. It's a partnership between a for-profit developer, Winterwood, and a nonprofit service provider, AVOL. And this development, um, I mean, it's changing lives. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. In fact, I took, I came into town in February, took the, the new members of the council on a bus tour. That was the first stop I made was at that development. I wanted to show them, hey, what permanent supportive housing, when you, when you link a nonprofit with a for-profit developer and the good that it can do for the people in your community. We also have one that's uh, about to get started. It should close in October, 73 units, and it will include a workforce development component. They've also been able to set aside, I want to say seven units. It's 73 units. I think 10% of them, or just less than 10%, are for households whose incomes are at or below 30% of area median income. So been able to work that out again with the ARPA dollars that we received made that possible. But it's also, it's going to be a lot like, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, Kit Carson project in Richmond. Yes. Um, the Scholar House. Yeah. The Kit Carson Scholar House in Richmond. Yes. Uh, it's not going to be a Scholar House per se in Lexington, but we replicated the workforce development component that's being done there. I think what's exciting here is we have um, one project that we funded through ARPA. It is in the Russell neighborhood um, by LDG called the Eclipse. The apartment name will be the Bouvier. And LDG has formed a beautiful partnership with Norton Healthcare here. They also have a partnership with the Jefferson um, Community and Technical College. And um, in some of their locations, they have received grant funds from the Bezos Academy where they are also taking care of the whole household. So what they're doing with Norton Healthcare is there is a new hospital being built just a couple of blocks away from where the Bouvier will will be placed and will be built. And anyone that lives there can receive training from JCTC. They will be, they can work at the hospital train at JCTC for free. Their kids will be able to um, attend. Well, I'm not sure if it's at that location, but at some of their locations, some of the kids will be able to um, attend what they are calling a preschool called the Bezos Academy, where they are serving that particular population. But if it's not the Bezos Academy there, they will have some type of training because they do a lot of tutoring They have a lot of partners come in for tutoring and other services for the kids, but their whole focus of workforce development and healthcare all on site has proven to be what some throughout the country are looking at as a model for holistic housing in the country. Uh, They started out in a project in another part of town with this partnership they, they were bringing COVID testing, COVID uh, vaccination, breast um, mammograms, um, other screenings on site, because a lot of people that are at low to moderate income just don't have the means 
to go to the doctor or they don't have transportation. So everything was brought to them on the campus so that they could eliminate that barrier and really be preventive and proactive rather than reactive. Because as we all know, a lot of times those that are closer to the poverty levels, uh, they react to things that happen to them. This way they can confront things and prevent them. Are we going to see more of these kinds of collaborations going forward or, or are these just outliers? I certainly hope so. Uh, you know, a holistic approach to improving the lives of the families that we're trying to serve. I mean, that's what we're here to do. And uh, the more partners we can bring to the table, the more collaborating we can do, um, just to, just makes it just makes it work a whole lot better. All right, stable housing is the the foundation. Yes, but you got to build off that foundation, and those other partnerships are the building blocks that really help to uh, stabilize a family. You know, we're working. Uh, you know, LDG did a development in Lexington too, and. Um, we're working with their property managers to bring in a financial literacy course mm-hmm. for, the, for the residents or anybody really that wants to take it in that neighborhood, uh, because that's critical um, to having people improve their lives as well. We have one project coming online. Um, it's not coming online yet, but exiting the pre-development stages, hopefully going to closing soon, uh, that will focus on families but then they also have reserved a number of units for kids aging out of foster care. That's another big group that has a huge need. They have planned workforce development classes, financial literacy classes, and another way to look at taking a different population, that 18 year old that somebody in an office said, you're grown, go do what you, you know, go do what adults are supposed to do. They have no idea. (laughs) So hopefully, you know, someone can work with them or will work with them and help them to have a successful housing and adult experience. Well, once again, Christy and Rick, I really appreciate your time. Um, I think a, a good final question to end on is what do you see as the future of affordable housing here in Kentucky? I think in Louisville, the future is bright. I think that we have some education to do for some of our members of government. Um, We have some perceptions to change, even though we've been around now since 16 and we continue to build housing. But if you think about our political climate, um, every time administrations change, every time different people get in office, it starts all over again. You've got to start all over again, educating that person, that community about why we need affordable housing, what it does, who it serves, all of that. So I think that, you know, we're going to have some ups and downs um, in the next few cycles. But as it looks to me right now, we have an administration that really is dedicated to affordable housing. We're going to put some dents in the numbers that um, we're seeing for need, and we are going to build some really beautiful, creative housing uh, so that no one even knows that they are next door to affordable housing. You know, Christy is exactly right. Education is so important. Um, that's why back in February, because we had a, I mean, we had a whole new basically a whole new city council and uh, offered to take them on a bus tour just to show them what we were doing. 
because I wanted to erase some of the perceptions that are out there and some of the misnomers, if you will, about what affordable housing really is. I wanted to erase that right away before they ever even got started even thinking about the budget process. Now, but I think to answer your question, um, I think the future's bright. I think it's strong. Uh, I'd like to see more permanent supportive housing units in Lexington. Uh, we certainly need that. We need more collaboration between the for-profit developers and the nonprofit service providers. But, you know, in Lexington, I feel very good about the, uh, the partnerships that we have, uh, the nonprofit community, the for-profit developers, the for-profit community. Uh, everybody seems to be working together. And, uh, you know, even, you know, one of the things that I did was when I created the, uh, the board, they let me create my own board, if you will. I put a lot of bankers on there. Because I wanted the bankers to be able to see, hey, look at what we're doing. Here. Well, I did it for two reasons. One, I wanted to see how, look at what we're doing here. So maybe they would invest in some of these developments. But also, obviously, to look over my shoulder to make sure the numbers all make sense, make these or these developments make sense, so that they will remain financially viable on into the future, which is critical. Because, uh, you know, I've always told the council, I said, now ten years now ten years from now when I'm no longer over this program I want you driving by one of our developments and saying that's one of those McQuaidy got funded because it looks awful that's, and, it, and it, you know and it didn't work and all those things that's not what I want and that's not what it's going to be that's exactly right <laughs> we don't want that legacy that is not the no. legacy we're trying to have we want it to be beautiful we want it to be um, sustainable and we want it to just be something that the community can be proud of. Absolutely. Well, that's a wrap for bringing it home today. We truly hope you've enjoyed our discussion. If you'd like to find out more information about Kentucky Housing Corporation, please feel free to visit www.kyhousing.org. That's www.kyhousing.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast and blog, you can also visit www.bringingithomeky.com. That's www.bringingithomeky.com. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can also email us at communications at kyhousing.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you bring it home with us again.